Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The blood of Jesus Christ and the protective power of covenant. What is the blood? What is so powerful about this blood? Why is this blood still being spoken of 2,000 odd years later? We're still bragging on the blood. We're still talking about the blood. There's still new songs being written on the blood. What is the occasion? Why is this blood so precious, so valuable, so talked about, so raved on? There's a lot of people, you know, they... (laughs) They, they hear about being washed by the blood and they're not really quite sure what that is. So if that's you, I want you to stay tuned on this broadcast because I'm going to show you what these terms mean, what being washed by the blood means, what pleading the blood means, what applying the blood means. That's why I want to get in first and foremost. What does it mean to apply the blood? Why do people say we have to apply the blood? Is there some sort of blood that's being stored up in some medical laboratory somewhere that we need to go and retrieve and apply it to our physical households absolutely not that's not what the bible's talking about when it when it's speaking about the application of the blood i want to read this out of hebrews chapter 11 hebrews chapter 11 and i believe it's in verse 28 there it is verse 28 by faith moses and the israelites kept the passover and the sprinkling of the blood lest he should be destroyed or lest he who destroyed the firstborn firstborn should destroy them or touch them. So the Bible says that the Israelites in the Old Testament, you can read it in your own time in Exodus chapter 12, 13, that God gave instructions to the people of Israel to apply the blood of a natural lamb to the doorposts and to the lintels of their houses. That when they applied this blood, that the death angel, the destroyer, would see the blood and pass over the house that had the blood applied. Now in the Old Testament, they had to slay a natural lamb, pour out its blood, take hyssop branches, dip it in the blood, and actually physically go out to apply the blood and sprinkle the blood on their homes so that they can be kept from the hour of destruction that was going to hit the land of Egypt in that day, which Egypt is always symbolic for the world and the Israelites is symbolic. It's not just symbolic. There's, there's a covenant plan for the Israelites, but it also applies to the church in prophecy that was the natural blood of a lamb that had to be applied physically in the new covenant we have a supernatural lamb whose name is jesus christ and if i may remind you in the book of john the bible says john the disciple uh, the um, the baptizer he saw jesus walking by and twice As he witnessed Jesus pass by him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of this world. Jesus was the Lamb of God, is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundations of the world. Israel in a type and a foreshadowing of what Jesus was to come one day and accomplish in his own body, took that natural lamb, slayed it, took the blood, applied it to the doorpost and the lintel, and that natural lamb's blood had power enough to thwart off the angel of destruction in that day. 
Now my question to you is, if the natural lamb had power to do that, how much more shall we in this new covenant, who don't have the blood of a natural lamb, but the blood of the supernatural lamb of Jesus Christ, should be able to apply this blood, I'm going to show you how to apply that blood in the moments to come, but apply that blood to our own homes, to our own businesses, to our own bodies, to our own families, to our children, and that have more than enough power to thwart off any agent sent against your destiny to bring calamity affliction or destruction i'm telling you there is power wonder working power in the blood of the lamb it isn't a, a just it's not some uh, four-leaf clover that we have it's not a rabbit's foot that we have tied to our key car or our car keys and on the, the keychain it isn't something that we just talk about as a lucky charm the blood of jesus christ is a valuable weapon that has power within itself to destroy any agent of death any agent of destruction any satanic adversary that's been sent against your destiny just by applying this blood the devil knows better than to touch someone that's applied the blood and the reason why I want to do this broadcast today is that too many people they talk about the blood they sing about the blood they know how to read verses on the blood but they don't actually apply appreciate the value of the blood it is the most underappreciated weapon in god's tool of weapons it is the most underappreciated thing i believe in the church today there are many churches get this there are many churches that won't even bring up the blood because they fear that it's too gory it's too it's too it's too much for people to, it's not pgg it's not general advertising it's not general public it's not a, a, it doesn't have a general rating to it. It's too PG-18. It's too gory. It's too expressive. It's too much for people to handle. And as such, they stay away from the blood. And in doing that, they're neglecting so great a salvation that comes via the application of the blood of Jesus. But I want to remind you, my stance on this is I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the gospel and the blood offend some people, then let them be offended because the Bible says the message of the cross is an offense to those that are perishing but to those that are the called the blood of Jesus means salvation the blood of Jesus means deliverance the blood of Jesus means being set free the blood of Jesus is it and I want to remind you that the blood has never lost its power there's that wonderful song it reaches to the highest mountains it goes down to the lowest of the valleys it's the blood of Jesus Christ that never loses its power it's a wonder working blood it's a blood that if you apply it correctly today the days of stagnation the days of being a victim of satanic harassment the days of being crushed and afflicted and perplexed and bruised and battered ended yesterday from today I see you going to the top I see you walking in a life of victory I see you walking in a life of supernatural dimension dominion i see the protective power of covenant coming over your household today as you sit in and incline your ear to the word that i'm speaking the days of being a victim are over you are marching out of this broadcast as a victor the devil's gonna rue the day he stretched his hand against your house against your body against your business from today he you're he's not the troublemaker anymore you're going to be the troublemaker of hell in the mighty name 
name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, just type out amen in the comment section. Share this broadcast. Let's help people today. That's why I do these broadcasts. We got testimonies. I did an IG live yesterday with a, a wonderful woman of God, and we preached on my, I talked about my testimony. We talked about things that hinder healing and all that. Well, as I was preaching and just spewing out verse after verse, understand this. The reason why I quote so much scripture, you understand, once I went, I did a youth retreat, and the youth leader came up to me after and packed altars, wonderful move of God, but the youth leader came up to me after and said, I, you know, it's wonderful what happened tonight, but you speak too much word, the kids aren't, aren't able to understand it, you speak too much Bible, they're not able to comprehend and latch on to all that, and I said, I mean, in my heart, I was like, you, you, first of all, you've really reduced the quality of youth that you have by the words that you speak, you think they're stupid, they're not stupid, they're very bright, Kids are bright. Teenagers are bright. And also, I was like, you can never speak too much word. You can never inject too much word. There's no such thing as too much word. Jesus said in John 6, 63, that the word is spirit and it brings life. The flesh profits nothing. When you're a carnal, fleshly person and you have no desire for truth, then the word doesn't mean anything to you. But when you are someone who desires truth, someone who hangs on the pillar and grounds of the truth, someone who is studying to show yourself approve a workman who need not be ashamed when you're someone that like David says all thy precepts in thy word I consider to be right and I consider to be truth then the truth doesn't offend you the truth helps you you can't preach too much word. That's why I inject word after word Bible verse after Bible verse because I know as the word goes out, Ezekiel chapter 2 says it this way. As he spake unto me, the spirit entered me and he set me up on my feet. As I'm speaking to you today, it might just look like a regular broadcast, but it ain't. As I'm speaking, if you had eyes in the spirit to see, there's actually an impartation of grace, an impartation of power, an impartation of divine power power and enablement that's coming alive in you so sit today not to be informed as i always say but to be transformed to absorb these truths because i can guarantee you you are going to leave this broadcast a champion of faith you are going to leave this broadcast not with your head down but with your head held high not boasting in yourself not bragging about your own abilities but like paul said if i boast in anything i'm gonna boast in the lord jesus christ and his his cross by whom the world's been crucified to me and me to this world David said some boast in chariots some boast in horses but I'm going to give you a new testament version of what he wanted to say some boast in chariots some boast in horses some boast in money some boast in abilities but I'm gonna make my boast in the blood of the lamb because had it not been for the blood I'd still be I might be dead by now I'd been dead by now I'd be in a mental institute at best I'd be wrapped up in a straight jacket with all kinds of medication being pumped into my body if it had not been for the blood i'd be a royal mess if it had not been for the blood i'd be on my way to hell in a handbasket. if it had not been for the blood i'd be bruised and battered contorted and distorted if it had not been for the blood i would have been chewed up by the devil and spat out but by the blood of the lamb i was redeemed i was delivered and i've been made new and I can boldly say the oldest pass away everything has become new all that by virtue of the blood 
all that. So how do you apply this blood? Number one, you have to, uh, the way you apply this blood is by gaining an accurate knowledge of what the blood does. You have to gain an accurate knowledge of what the blood does. That's why I'm going to go through, I wrote down seven things that the blood does for people. The seven uh, purposes of the blood, the seven reasons why blood had to be shed. Before I do that, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29, listen to this. The writer of Hebrews writes, or of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled on the Son of God underfoot, listen to this, and has counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. Counting the blood of the covenant by which you are sanctified and saved, a common thing is a dangerous thing. We don't just talk about the blood like it's some non-issue, like it's no longer relevant. Oh, that was like, that was a primitive thing. We don't really, we don't really venture out there anymore. You know, that's what a lot of, I said it before, a lot of churches will never even bring up the blood lest people should feel like, ah, that's a little too much. Maybe I should cover my children's ears. I tell you, if you're ashamed of the blood, you're ashamed of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you've actually positioned yourself for punishment, for divine punishment of how much worse punishment punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy of who has trampled the son of God underfoot and have counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing my friends it is not a common thing common things produce common results but uncommon things produce uncommon results if you think the blood is just some common thing that it was oh that's just how they did things in primitive eras you know that's a first century thing we've moved on we're more rational now we've developed Developed intellect since then we've we've actually evolved into something more presentable as a church no you you're dumb you've actually receded if you drop the blood you have receded if you drop the blood you have regressed if you drop the blood Paul says it this way we are of all men most to be pitied because there's no reason for living unless it's by the blood and so how do you apply this blood It's one thing to talk about the blood. How do you apply it? Two ways. You gain an accurate knowledge. I said it before. When you don't have knowledge of the blood and what it produces, you have an inappreciation of what the blood is. When there's a lack of understanding of the blood, there is a lack of appreciation for the blood. And when there's a lack of appreciation for the blood, that's when you risk calling this blood a common thing and risk divine punishment as a result of it. Be careful how you speak about the blood. You're not to just let your mouth run on any... The blood is a sacred thing. It is a sacred thing. It is a, 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 a sanctified thing. It is a thing that God holds higher than anything else in all the world. It's the most valuable thing to God. Because by it, He purchased our salvation. So you have to gain an accurate knowledge of the blood of Jesus Christ, which I'm going to get into. And then number two, how do you apply the blood? The Bible says by faith, they kept the Passover and applied the blood. How does faith work? How do you release your faith? You gain accurate knowledge. That's point one. But then you have to start to confess things. And so that's what I want to accomplish from this broadcast. 
I want to accomplish from this broadcast. That's what I want to do. I want to change your confession. I want the, your knowledge of the blood of Jesus Christ and what it does for you change your confession and your outlook on everything else in life. I don't want you to be, you shouldn't have world confessions when you're born from above. You shouldn't speak like this world when you're heavenly. Paul said, my citizenship is in heaven. I don't speak. I'm a Canadian. I don't speak like an American. I, if someone's from Italy, they don't speak like people from France. They have a different language. They have a different way. They might have a different, um, different. Uh, what do you say? They might have a different, not language, but a different uh, dialect. They might have a different dialect. You know, in Italy, there's different dialects from Turin all the way down to Bari. There's totally different dialects where someone from Bari, although they're both speaking what is Italian, they're totally different. They actually might not have a good, uh, a pretty easy time in interpre interpreting what each one is trying to say. Well, I'm from above. I'm from heaven. My dialect's different. My confession is different. My, I don't speak the same. Because I have a different God, I have a different story because I have a different confession. And so let these words, let these Bible truths on the blood shape new confessions where you're no longer saying, you know, how many of you know there's flu season now? No, not for me. I'm covered by the blood. When people start saying, you know, people are losing their jobs, there's going to be a financial crash. Not for me. I'm covered by the blood. Well, you know, uh, in your family, depression runs through that family and, and anxiety runs. Not for me. I'm covered by the blood. The Bible says, he that dwells in the shelter of the Almighty will abide under the shadow of God. The shadow is the protective covenant of God. And I will say of my God. So when you understand that you're dwelling under the covering of the blood, you're dwelling under the protective barrier of covenant. And as such, I'm going to say things differently. The world might be speaking one way but I'm going to speak an entirely different way because I serve a God who is faithful to his word who's looking for people that will believe it to the point of confession that he might show himself strong on their behalf that's why the Bible says in Romans 8 the whole creation is is groaning awaiting the manifestations of the sons of God you can never manifest your sonship until you connect your sound system to your faith system your faith system System is built upon what you believe from God's word but that faith system is totally impotent until it is connected to your sound system first Thessalonians says for from you the word of the Lord has proceeded or has gone out in all the world the word of the Lord in your heart isn't going to do you much good until it sounds forth from your mouth there has to be a confession we apply the blood not only by knowing what it does but I'm bold enough to say it I have the spirit of faith 2nd Corinthians 4 13 we therefore having the same spirit of faith as they had they believed and therefore they spoke we also believe and therefore we speak I'm not gonna keep my faith quiet people say why can't you keep your religion to yourself it's against my religion to keep my religion to myself I have to speak it I'm bold to declare it I'm not gonna shrink back from speaking the word of the Lord like Ezekiel I'm gonna prophesy as I'm commanded and as I do that God is more than faithful to perform and confirm his word openly Ephesians chapter 4 let me read this Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning with verse 13 verse 17 this I say therefore and testify to you in the Lord 
You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Walking in the futility of their minds. Having their understanding darkened. That's the importance of these broadcasts. If you are darkened in your understanding, meaning ignorant, it affects you. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is destructive. Being What happens when you're darkened in your understanding? You're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So ignorance produces alienation from God's very own life. Remember, Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of a thing is in its blood. The life of the thing is in its blood. God's blood, Jesus' blood, carries God's life in it. But you will be alienated from the life that is in the blood if you're ignorant of what the blood of Jesus does for you. So let me... Let me move on to what first we read about the blood covenant. We read that in Hebrews chapter 10, 29. The Bible says that if we call the blood of the covenant a common thing, we risk punishment. It, the Bible calls it the blood of the covenant. If you don't understand covenant, you're not going to understand the entire Bible because the entire Bible is old covenant and new covenant. This Bible is a blood covenant that God has made with us. The old covenant was a blood covenant via natural lambs, oxen, bulls, and goats, and heifers. The new covenant is sealed by the blood of Jesus. The Bible calls it a blood covenant. What is a blood covenant? A covenant, first and foremost, if you study the word covenant in the Hebrew, it's referring, uh, the actual word in its uh, original uh, state means to cut, to cut, to cut. So covenant means to cut. What does it mean? What is it talking about to cut? It's referring to an incision that must be made in order for the contract to be enforced. So in the Old Testament, you know, the very first blood covenant that was made was in Eden. Adam and Eve sinned against God. God saw that his nature had come out of them that they had died spiritually and as a result he went out they were you know they said we saw that we were naked and so we sowed figs they tried to make their own salvation they tried to make their own way out they tried to provide their own way of escape but it didn't work god had to kill an animal he had to cut an animal and then by the the animal skin he made clothes for them for them to wear which provided a limited uh, covering, which provided for them a temporary covenant. The old covenant is stories of people killing oxen, killing lambs, killing whatever animal they had to. And by doing that, by wringing the blood out of them, by draining the blood, it provided for them a very limited time of atonement, a very temporary atonement but it never got rid of the sin issue it just covered it for a year so that for one more year God can look on his people God can continue to bless his people until the actual final realization of what God intended to do in Christ would come remember Hebrews 10 says that the old covenant um, Levitical law and the 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 the, the ordinances that Moses dishes out to the people of Israel in Exodus and Leviticus, those were just types and foreshadows of what God would do in Christ. So you can learn a lot by studying what they did, why they shed the blood, where they put the blood. You can learn a lot because those are actually just 
teachings of what Jesus, it's a foreshadowing. They were objects of not the true, they were just uh, imitations of the authentic until Christ would ultimately come and present his own blood, not in a temple made with human hands, but into heaven and heaven itself. He presented himself without spot and without wrinkle. You can read that in Hebrews 8 through uh, 10. I would recommend you do that on your own time. I'm not going to go through the entirety of it because it's a lot of reading on a broadcast. But if you have time, to, and you should make time, go through Hebrews 8 through 10. It's really going to bless your socks off, especially after you hear what I have to say on what the blood covenant is. So the covenant means to cut. To cut. A covenant is a contract between two or more parties with well-defined terms wherein if each party upholds his end of the, of the bargain, of his, his end of, of the deal, the rest of the co company is going to uphold their end of the deal, and as such, there's going to be benefit a benefit system that is dealt out to each member of that covenant. What is a blood covenant? In North America, especially in Europe, Western countries, we don't really understand what blood covenant is. But you go to like tribal areas. Now understand, when I start talking about blood covenant, I don't want you to think this is like some demonic thing and we, we have to... You know, we, we shouldn't listen to TJ anymore. He talked about blood covenants and, you know, that's demonic. Those are rituals. And he even talked about African tribes that do that. I, I'm not saying that this is something you should do with other people. I'm not saying this is just a little um, caution, word of caution. As I talk about blood covenants, this is not something you go out and make with your friend or go out and make with a business partner. You show up to your next business deal and your hand's all bloodied and you're saying, let's make a... You don't do that. Any blood covenant outside of the covenant made between us and Christ is demonic but understand the first covenant blood covenant God made with man was with Adam and because Adam was the father of all nations this mentality of cutting covenants in blood has spread throughout the earth and many tribes still hold to this blood covenant many tribes still hold to this ritual this rite of cutting blood covenants and they understand more than the West, I'm sad to say, more than the Western Christian church on what a blood covenant is. Even though they're using it for demonic purposes, they understand the value of a blood covenant. So I want to explain to you, because there's a missionary named David Livingstone. He went to Africa back in the day when Africa was unevangelized. Now, much of Africa is evangelized, much of Africa is Christian, but back then it was not so. They were tribal. They were very primitive. They, they, there wasn't much talk of Jesus at all. So David Livingstone goes and he starts to interact with these tribal leaders and he starts to see them cutting blood covenants with each other. And he started to observe what they did and what it meant. And for a long time, he, like, he didn't want to really get into it much. He didn't talk about it. He thought it was just demonic, but he was fascinated by it. They did it. It was part of their practice, but he thought it was demonic and just some religious rite and ritual that they do in, with their own priests and whatnot. He stayed clear of it. He never cut a covenant. But then one day, the Lord showed him from the word of God that the covenant that they're cutting is actually something that God did with us. That though the devil has counterfeited the authentic the lesson that you can learn from them is very valuable. And so he started to preach on the blood covenant that God made with mankind to these tribal leaders and had more success on the evangelist, on, on the evangel the evangelistic field than he had ever had in his entire life. Because they understood 
Unlike much of the North American church today, they understood what it meant for a man to cut a blood covenant with another man. And so he started to, uh, from the word, saying Jesus, you know, in, if you read it, uh, 1 Corinthians, or, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says on the, Lord, the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took his, the wine and he said, this is my blood in the new covenant, this drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. So Jesus was saying, I'm cutting a covenant with you in my blood. David Livingstone used that in preaching the gospel to these tribal people and they understood it and he had more converts in preaching that than any other message he had ever preached. They flocked to God, repentance and faith and he changed and revolutionized much of Africa because of that message. So what was these blood covenants that they were making? And, and it still goes on today in many tribal areas. What, did, what was it? Number one, I'll tell you what, reasons that they would cut a covenant. A tribe would cut a covenant with another tribe or a chief with another chief or an individual with another individual. Number one, if a tribe or a person was very weak, not financially wealthy, they didn't have much livestock, and they felt threatened from another tribe, they would cut a covenant with a stronger tribe than they were and form an alliance as such. When they cut that covenant, everything that that tribe owned and also the protection rights came on them. Number two reason why they cut a covenant is because there, it was like a business deal between two partners. So they would make an incision in their hand. They'd pour it into wine, intermingle it. And then they'd, one party would drink from it. The other party would drink from it. And in so doing, they'd cut a covenant in business with the promise that I'm not going to screw you over and you're not going to screw me over. And they upheld that covenant. David Livingstone said, in all my travels in Africa, I've never heard of a blood covenant ever being broken. They really kept true to these covenants that they made. And number three reason why they'd cut a covenant in blood was for love's sake. If a man, not in a homosexual sense, but if a man loved another man and devoted himself to him, like David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, they actually had, they cut a blood covenant together. You can read that on your own time. They cut a covenant in blood and um, that was out of devotion to one another. They loved each other and by doing that, they were becoming one together. They were literally merging into one saying, I've got your back and I know you've got my back. The method that they used to cut a covenant, even in David and Jonathan's day up until uh, tribal Africa days and all that was number one, they'd come together and they'd have friends and they'd have relatives and they'd have a high priest come together and uh, for witnesses, they'd have witnesses surrounding this event. Number two, they'd have an exchange of gifts. David and Jonathan. Jonathan took off his armor and he put it on David. They would give the other party their most prized possession. They would give the other party their most valuable possession. The thing that meant most to them. For Jonathan, it was his armor and his sword. And he gave that to, to David. In doing that, they were actually indicating everything else. Since I gave you my best Everything else I own also belongs to you, which we're going to get why, into why that, that, that is a powerful statement in what Jesus did for us in the moments to come. Number three, they would get a cup of wine, make an incision in their hand, and they would pour out their blood into the wine. They'd stir up the wine. The one party would drink it. The other party would drink it. And in, they'd finish the entirety of the cup. And in doing that, what they were doing is that 
they were causing their blood to intermingle and that was them entering into that covenant. They were entering in to that covenant. Number four, they would steer, yeah, they'd steer the wine, they'd drink it by both parties. And then number five, they would join their cut areas together and they would squeeze it together. They would squeeze it together. And in doing that, the blood would intermingle, meaning his blood would get into his his body and the other guy's blood would get into the other guy's body. And in doing that, their blood would never be the same again because their blood now merged. A little bit of him, a little bit of him now came into him. The nature of the blood changed. Everything changed um, in them. Now, why, why did I say this? Because David Livingstone one time was witnessing a missionary. His name was Stanley. This guy was, he, he was weak. He was sick. His other friend that was a missionary was out on the field for months on months. And so he was left alone and he started to, he was getting weak in his body. And so he realized that a lot of the village, villages and the villagers were taking advantage of him and they were coming to steal his stuff and he lost any ability to protect, protect himself. They were taking advantage of this guy. So what did he do? After he didn't want to do it, but after much persuasion, he ended up cutting a covenant with the chief of that village, lest the other guys come in and kill him and just take everything he owned. So when he after much persuasion from his interpreter, entered into this blood covenant, he gets to where they were going to do this covenant uh, together and enter in as blood brothers. And uh, he had to bring his most prized possession. And the chief brought his most prized possession. The guy, Stanley, brought his goat because that was everything he owned. And the goat's milk, because he had a stomach problem, the goat's milk was the only thing that would soothe his intestinal problems. So the chief demanded him bring his goat, his goat. So he brought the goat and gave it over. When he presented the goat, this chief gave him this like seven foot staff and he handed it to him. And he felt at that moment, like he got fooled. Like I just lost my goat. The only thing that actually mattered that actually produces something. And I got this stupid stick. But the interpreter then moved on to say that stick isn't just a stick. It's not just a pole. It's not just a staff, a shepherd's staff. That what the chief just gave you is extremely valuable because it represents the authority of the chief. Now, by giving you that staff, everything the chief owns, everything that the chief is, the way the, the, the way people esteem the chief has been bestowed on you. You now, when people look at you as you hold that, that staff, they are looking. They are looking. As if they were looking right at the chief himself. And so the chief actually bestowed full ownership of his reputation, his power, his authority, and his resources on him when he cut a covenant in blood with that missionary that was weakening in his body. The guy thought he lost out. He actually gained protection. He gained resources and provision. He gained power. He gained high authority in the land by virtue of that covenant that he did. Well, that was a covenant between a man and a man. I want to tell you today that Jesus cut a covenant in his blood with us. With us. 
He said, this drink as often as you do, it is my new covenant in the blood. When we do that, there's too many people that do the communion meal as if it's just some rite, it's just some ritual, it's just some ordinance, it's just something we do as Christians. I don't know, I got baptized, I fill out, I'm a member of my church, and now they hand me a piece of bread and a thing of juice every single first Sunday of the month, and I take it. I just say, well... Praise God, I think it's for the forgiveness of my sins. It's way more than that. When Jesus cut a covenant in his blood and we became blood brothers with Jesus, remember Hebrews chapter 2, I believe it is, says that he that sanctifies Jesus, Jesus is the one that sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified are one, for which cause he's not ashamed to call us brethren. When we take of the communion meal, when we drink of the blood of Jesus, in what symbolizes the blood of Jesus in that, that juice, we are literally doing, a, there's a transaction that took place the first time you ever did that with understanding. All of God's power, His life, His authority, His nature was transferred into you. And absorbed, just like when they joined hands together and the blood got in them and their blood was no longer the same because the blood of that party came into us. Even so, when we drink of this blood of the new covenant in the cup of Jesus Christ, all that God is, is being transferred into us. Our nature is, is leaving. Our nature is exterminated. Our nature is being removed. And His nature overwhelmingly takes over His life. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 6, He that drinks of my blood and eats of my flesh has my life in Him. Oh, hallelujah. We're not just talking about eternal eternity. A lot of people read that. That He that drinks of my blood and eats of my flesh, He, he has eternity. One day He'll make heaven it's more than that that word life is zoe it's divine life and nature when you drink of the blood and eat of his flesh you are literally taking on god's very life source his life power in you so that you don't walk the same way you ever you walked before everything changes about you everything You've been altered. Your DNA is altered. That's why Jesus said, He that abides in me and I abide in him. They're no longer the same. My power and my nature, my death and my everything that I was before doesn't get on him. His life, his nature, his power, his resources, his health, his glory, his, his everything comes and takes over in me. I'm no, my DNA has been changed. I'm in a blood covenant with Jesus Christ. That's why it's important to understand what a blood covenant is. That's why a lot of Africans, they get, they're so easy to preach. When you, I mean, Reinhard Bonnke would preach on this. And it'd be so easy to get them saved because they understood. Wait, I've been cutting covenants with all these guys, chiefs, trying to secure protection. And it doesn't always pan out. You're telling me that the God of the universe, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, cut a covenant with me? I'm interested in that. And it's easy to get them saved. They know Bishop Oyedepo, when he does, uh, he, he talks about the miracle meal in Africa. 
and he has communion in his church. It's not uncommon to see people that have blood disorders, leukemia, sickle cell anemia, get totally delivered because they understand there's a blood trans... Oh man, hallelujah. There is a blood transfusion that is taking place. The emptying of our blood. No wonder John said, I must decrease. He must increase. My old self, there's a transfusion, not only spiritually, but literally, physically. I don't believe the same blood that I had before is running through my veins now. I believe I've received the blood transfusion. I believe that I carry the blood life of Jesus through my veins. Because the life of a thing is in its blood, and that blood is in me now. Because I've partaken of it. I've cut a covenant with Jesus Christ. That's why it's important to, do, to know that. So what happens when you cut this blood covenant? What are seven things that happen as a result of this blood covenant? Number one, there's remission of sins. Remission of sins. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter. If you're just tuning in now, you'd do me a great help if you'd uh, share this broadcast. It's going to help a lot of people. They can catch it on the replay uh, if they've come in late. Hebrews chapter... Chapter 9 and verse 21 or 20. Let's do verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. Verse 22, pay special attention. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You might have heard that term remission in reference to uh, medical terminology. That someone that had cancer can go into remission. There's two types of remission in the field of oncology. There is the remission, natural, regular remission, where the cancer is left, but it's possible that the cancer can return. Because uh, though they're in remission, though the cancer has left, there's still signs of the existence that there are signs that that cancer once existed in you, and so it could come back. But then there's a second type of remission that doctors talk about, and it's called molecular remission. There's a man of God who said his son, when he was young, had leukemia. And so they tested his blood and stuff, and they were going um, to do blood transfusions, whatever they do. But eventually, the, the kid actually just went into remission. He, the cancer left his body. He had no more leukemia. But the doctor said that we're going to still do a bone marrow transplant. And the, the, the preacher said, well, why would we do a bone marrow transplant if the kid doesn't have cancer any longer? He doesn't have the leukemia anymore. They said, because we want to, well, though he is in remission, we want to obtain molecular remission. He said, what's the difference of between remission and molecular rem remission? Regular remission... There's still the signs that that cancer existed at one point in their lives. And so it could come, the root is almost like still there and it could spring back up. Whereas molecular remission is the total extermination 
of the presence and the existence of that cancer in the person's body. And the only way to do that is through a bone marrow transplant. Why? He asked them, why do we have to do a bone marrow transplant? They said, because when you put someone else's bone marrow into their bone marrow, into your little boy's bone marrow, that the bone marrow, his bone marrow is going to change. And as such, the blood he produces is going to change. And he's going to be totally altered on a molecular level. That's why they call it molecular remission. He'll no longer produce the same blood. And it's going to affect, it can affect his eye color. It can affect his skin it can affect his hair color. It can affect his personality because the blood's now going to be affecting his brain. It can it changes everything about him. So they tested the other siblings that he had and one of the siblings came out a perfect match. They ended up doing a bone marrow transplant. Now when that bone marrow transplant took place, the kid now started to naturally mimic the other brother that he had. They liked the same things. They sounded the same. They started to gravitate towards the same things in life over time. Not because they got around, oh, this guy can save my life. You know, I feel bad. Let me just grab. No, there was a change that took place on a molecular level. What that bone marrow transplant did is it, it uprooted the very root of that cancer in that boy's body so that his body was fooled into thinking that he never even had cancer. And it guaranteed that that same cancer would never rise again. When the Bible says that we have not forgiveness of sins alone, we have remission of sins. What is remission of sins? It's three things. One, it's forgiveness of sins. God forgives you. God forgets everything you ever done. He put delete. He pressed delete on the record of your life. It's been wiped out. There's, God's not bringing it back to memory. If you keep reminiscing on your old sins and you feel bad for it, it's because of the devil or your own self-pity and self-loathing. But on God's part, he has never brought it up. He's, the Bible says he has buried your sins in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. Number two, remission of sins. What does it mean? Number one, forgiveness of sins. Number two, it means to cancel the penalty or the consequences that come on as a result of sin. What came on as a result of our sin? Sickness came as a result of sin. Disease, poverty, shame, depression, anxiety. All the penalties of sin that came on the human race as a result of our disobedience towards God. When the Bible says we have remission of sins, it's not just you're forgiven, but you're still going to have to go through what the world goes through. You're going to get your tail whipped. You're going to get slapped up. You're going to be destroyed. The devil's going to have a field day with you because only until you get to heaven. No. Death is not my savior. The blood of Jesus provided my salvation. I'm not waiting for heaven to receive healing. I'm not waiting for heaven to receive peace of mind. I'm not waiting for heaven to be delivered of satanic vices and chains and afflictions. When the blood of Jesus comes on me, he gave, he gave me remission of sins. In that remission of sins, there is a cancellation of the penalty and the debt and the consequences that came on as a result of my sin. So that whole, we're all just sinners. How many of you know, life's not all going to be great, but challenges might come. But the blood of Jesus guarantees that I'm not overcome. What did Revelation 12, 1, 11 say? They overcame him. How? By the blood of the lamb. You overcome the devil's tactics. You overcome 
the, the, the penalties and consequences of sin that has been released by the devil on the human race when you start to apply the blood to your life. Now, if you don't know that, the devil will take advantage of you. Well, why is it that not all, every Christian is automatically healed when they get saved? Because not everyone believes this. Not everybody knows this. Ignorance is the root of unbelief, and unbelief is the root of calamity and tribulation and every other evil thing. Because faith brings the victory. So I'm not saying things won't come against you. Things can come against you. But the Bible promises if you're in faith, if you fight the good fight of faith, you're going to lay hold on that which Christ Jesus has purchased for you by his blood, which is blessings, goodness, mercy, honor, favor, healing. Hallelujah. So it's cancellation of the penalty. Well, I know we're saved, but that doesn't mean we're exempt. Uh, speak for yourself because if I can remember right in Exodus when the Israelites were in Goshen and there was darkness over Egypt there was light in Goshen their story was different we they were exempt and if they were exempt by the blood of a natural lamb I'm much more exempt because of the blood of the supernatural lamb if my memory serves me right the Bible says God was going to release plagues on Egypt and Egypt was going to go through economic disaster but then God says on the Israelites, not a dog will bark its mouth that you might know that I do make a distinction between those who serve me and those who serve me not. This is why it's so important to read about the blood, study the blood, and apply the blood to make sure you're under the covenant of the blood. Because in these last days, things aren't going to get easier for the world. It's going to get harder. Things aren't going to get better for the world. Things are going to get harder. Things aren't going to ameliorate. Things aren't going to improve things are going to degrade quickly paul said in the last days difficult times are going to come but you can guarantee exemption from those difficult times by staying under the blood well that's not biblical these guys are just getting people's hopes up we're in this world we're gonna have to suffer the rest well why why don't you go and tell moses and the israelites that because they didn't suffer with any of it because they were in covenant with god they had circumcised the youngest circumcision was a form of entering into covenant was a sign of covenant they were in covenant their story wasn't the same as egypt's story because god made a distinction god's gonna make a distinction on your life god's gonna distinguish you on the earth he's gonna make a distinction on your family on your finances whatever happens in this world it will be minus you though the days are coming burning like an oven and things are gonna get more intense and heated up the bible says unto those that fear my name unto those that remember my name unto those that keep my covenant I will spare them as a father spares an obedient and dutiful child don't let your expectation line up with the reports that are going around and circulating in this world don't let your expectation line up with that things are going to decrease and get real hard it might be so for everyone else but a thousand might die to my side ten thousand might fall to my right hand but these evil shall not approach me in righteousness I have have been established i will be far from oppression i will be far from affliction if that's you type one in the chat the bible says he that dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide under the protective barrier of the almighty i will say of my god he's my fortress he's my strength he is my my defender he is my champion he is my god in whom i trust i will not be afraid some of you are fearing the reports that have been coming on on cnn msnbc 
start to turn off the television and turn on Psalm 91. Start to confess, I will not be afraid of the terror by night. I will not be afraid of the destruction that lays waste at noon. I will not be afraid of the pestilences, deadly viruses that circulate on this earth. A thousand can fall on my side. Ten thousand can fall to my right hand. It shall not approach me or touch me or strike me. God has given his angels charge over me. I'm going to be lifted up in all my ways. I'm not even going to dash a foot against a stone. I'm heavily guarded. The angel of the Lord surrounds those that fear him. And I've got another, I, I'm, I'm going to have another testimony. I'm not going down with this world when men say there's a casting down. I'm saying, no, actually, my best days are yet to come. There is a lifting up. Hallelujah. Remission of sins, cancellation of penalty, and then number three, removal of guilt. So remission means forgiveness of sins, cancellation of penalty, and then removal of guilt. I just feel so bad. I don't know if I can receive the Holy Spirit because of what I've done. The Bible says, let me read this, in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. There's a lot of people who don't receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost because they're so tied up on what they did. Well, I don't know if I could receive that. I, you know, after everything that I've done, I'm not worthy. You're right. You're not worthy in your own self. You were never worthy in your own, in your own strength, in your own, your own self. Let me read Acts chapter. Acts chapter 5. And verse 32, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And then in Acts chapter, I believe it's in chapter 11. I can't find it on the top of my head. But the Bible says that those who are sanctified are able to receive the Holy Spirit. And you've been sanctified by the blood. I can't find it right now. But the Bible says when you got sanctified by the blood, you now became worthy to receive, the, qualified to receive the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1 and verse 12. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Colossians 1 and verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. I don't feel qualified. Who cares what you feel? God qualified you. I don't know if I can pray and ask God for that. You know, I've never been, I've never been one to pray in the past. And so I think I'm going to have to work myself up. You're working, you're living by works. And the Bible says when you live by works, thinking you're going to gain righteousness by works, you've fallen from grace. And when you fall from grace, nothing will work for you in life. Falling from grace isn't, oh, that guy went so far gone, he's, he's, he's no longer able to come back. That's not what falling from grace means. Galatians, when Paul's talking about being falling from grace, it's literally placing no trust in the blood of Jesus and what the blood did for you, and instead putting trust in your own works by your own efforts to justify yourself. That's when you have fallen from grace. Grace no longer can help someone like that because they don't, the Bible says grace is imputed to us for righteousness. Abraham was imputed righteousness by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. If you think you can work your way up to be justified, if you think you can work your way up so that God will hear you, if I just do X amount of things, God will hear me, you have fallen from grace. The Bible says God has 
qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. There's so many things in the New Testament that talk about our inheritance as saints. You don't have to qualify yourself. You don't have to do anything other than to receive Christ, repent of sin, and now you are qualified. If you're living a life where you're intent on walking on the pathway of holiness, you are qualified to receive the inheritance of the saints. You're qualified to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're qualified to receive healing in your body. You're qualified to receive deliverance in your mind. You're qualified to, be, uh, to have your prayers answered no matter what they might be. As long as it's in, your, in the word of God and you use the name of Jesus, Jesus said, All, um, if you use my name, I will do it for you from heaven. You're qualified to use the name of Jesus. You're qualified to use the authority of the name of Jesus. I don't care if you don't feel like you're... Quit going by your feelings. People that go by their feelings are royal messes. They're up and down Christians. They never, they never have their heads screwed on straight. Brother, can you just keep me in prayer? Keep me in prayer. See, that's people that, that, that go by their feelings because if you understand... What Christ did, that we actually, by the blood, have free access to the throne room of heaven ourselves. We don't have to go through a middleman. Why am I going to call someone and say, hey, can you... I'm not saying there's no power in joining our faith together. But there's a lot of people that are just trying to be a prayer project so that they can garner people's pity. They have actually no desire to be broken free. They just like people hearing what's wrong with them so that they can... They're fed by feeling other people's pity for their life. Don't be like that. There's no, there is no man that can supplement the middleman that we have in heaven. Jesus is the middleman. If I have direct access to the Father, then I ain't going through somebody else. I'm going straight to Him. There's a lot of people that want to contract their prayer to other people. They don't even want to pray themselves. Keep me in prayer. It's only because they don't want to pray themselves. They don't want to do it themselves. They want to contract the work out to others so they tell people to keep them in prayer. Other people are not your mediator. Jesus is your mediator. When you pray using his name, you have access to the Father and God's not going to... Jesus said it. The Father himself loves you. doesn't love everyone else but you. He loves you because you have believed that, you have, that I have come from the Father. Jesus said that. Which leads me to point number two. Number one, what does the blood of Jesus do? Gives you remission of sins. Point number two, he gives you free access to the throne room of heaven. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Listen to this. This is a powerful scripture. If you just tuned in right now, it was worth it. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... The Old Testament, they had to go once a year, the high priest, not without blood, he'd, they'd kill an animal, they'd take the blood, and they'd go in once a year to the Holy of Holies. And they would tie a rope to his ankle, and on the other end of that rope was a bell. Just by chance, if he didn't sanctify himself properly, and he came in impure to the holiness, the holy place of God, he'd be struck dead. Because no man can see God at any time. And if you came in and hadn't fulfilled the rituals of the purification process as the high priest, they'd be, they would literally fall dead on the spot. So they tied a rope to their ankle. And then on the other end of that rope was a bell. In case there was no more movement, the bell stopped ringing and they dragged his body out. They did that once a year and not without the, the, the shedding of blood. Jesus did it once for all when he offered his own body before Christ. He offered his own blood, not the blood of goats or the blood of bulls, but by his own blood he entered into the holy of holies for us. 
So that we now, verse 19, can have boldness to enter in to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This one point is going to change your prayer life. You're never going to pray little shy, timid prayers. Father, I know that uh, you have a lot to do today, but I just pray. You're going to walk in, like the Bible says, with boldness to the throne room of God to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because God, when he looks at you because of the blood, he no longer sees you. He sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the holiness of Christ. So I'm not having to purify myself all the time. I have been made pure. The Bible says he has forever perfected those who are sanctified by faith. How many of you know we're not all perfect? I can agree with the statement that we are perfecting ourselves day by day. In practice, but in position, I'm perfect. In practice, you might have made a mistake and you're still, you're on the path of perfection. You're keeping, you know, the Bible says, I'm going to behave wisely in a perfect way. You're keeping to that perfect path. You might fall off at once, whatever. You don't have to, but if you did, that doesn't mean you're not, oh, we're not perfect. You know, we stumble in various ways. No, in practice, you might have stumbled, but you're back on the path of perfection. However, in position, I never stumble. I'm always perfect because Christ has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. So sanctification is a two-part thing. I am being sanctified. I am being made into the image of God in practice, but in position, I am. I have the image of God. In position, I. it's no longer I who lives. Christ lives in me. In position, all that Christ is is in me. And when I approach God by the blood of Jesus Christ, he doesn't see the old sinner me. That old sinner me is dead. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He that knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we now have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. What was the old and dead way was the high priest once a, a year, but now by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Verse 22, let us draw near cowardly and timidly. No, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. What does that mean? I know whatever I ask from the Lord, I'm going to receive from him because the blood of Jesus wiped my past away and now is a passport for me to enter in to the holy of holies and whatever I ask according to his word, I receive from him because I love him and I keep his commandments. I'm drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's a true heart, meaning not a heart that's condemning itself. 1 John 3, 21 and 22 says, Brethren, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have boldness before God. We have confidence before God. When you have a heart that is self-condemning, you can have no confidence in prayer. You're constantly going to pray timid prayers. You're constantly going to feel like you're not worthy to even ask anything. The Bible says, brethren, if our, notice it doesn't say if God does not condemn us. God does not condemn you. It's religion and Satan that brings stones to the fight. Jesus brings grace. Jesus brings mercy. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to what? That the world might be saved through me. 
I came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved for, through me. This is the will of God, that none should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. God's not condemning you. If you feel self-condemned, it's yourself, or you've bought into the lies of the devil, and you now think that you're inferior, that you are unrighteous, that you are condemned. Remind, I might remind you today, Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. And the Bible says, there is no longer any condemnation. Romans 8, 2. There is no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The devil comes and reminds you of your past. Remind him of his past. How he was the chief cherub, the anointed angel of heaven. And how he got his rear end cast out of heaven. And in all throughout the ages, he's tried to overturn the work of God. And he's failed time and time again. Terrible track record he has. Then if that's not enough, start to remind him of his future. Remind him of his past. Remind him of his fall from heaven. Remind him of his terrible track record. Remind him of his brutal beating that he received at Calvary when Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. And Satan himself made a public show of him openly, having triumphed over him at the cross. And then remind him of his, old, of his future. Remind him. That there's a lake of fire. Remind him that until the rapture happens or I go home to be with the Lord at a good old age, I'm going to make his life living hell. He's not going to wait till hell to have hell. He's going to have hell here on this earth because the anointing in me is a tormenting force to the devils that are in this world. Don't buy into this condemn, his condemning voice and tone. That's right, Brianna, or Bree. The devil's under our feet. He's under our feet. So quit letting him in your head if he's under your feet. That's when you draw near with a true assurance of faith. My past is forgiven. My present, by the blood of Jesus, is secure. And my future is bright. And when I come before God, I'm coming as a son. Bought by his blood. Purchased by the precious. God did not send money. God did not send an angel. He redeemed us by his blood. Why look at that blood as a common thing, thinking it did nothing for you as you keep on praying those cheap prayers? Instead, come boldly as a son. My son, when he comes and asks me for something, he wants yodit, which is yogurt. He doesn't come uh, yodit. He comes yodit. yodit. He knows that I'm going to give him what I, he asks of me because he's my son and I love him. And I'll give him as much as he needs. When we come before God, we shouldn't come in. Like, we're not owed anything. No, because of the blood of Jesus and the position I have now, the Bible says we were far off, but we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The same love God has for the Son, Jesus Christ, is the same love that God has for me now as I've been adopted into the family of God. And Jesus, how did he pray? Father, I don't know if you hear me, but... Father, I thank you that you hear me. And I know that whatever I ask, you give for me. But for the sake of those standing by, I just prayed this prayer. Lazarus, come forth. Number two, unhindered access to the throne of God. Number three, what does the blood of Jesus do? Healing for your body. Isaiah chapter 53. The Bible says, by his stripes you were healed. When Jesus took stripes on his black back, there was blood shed from those stripes. That blood was shed for the, uh, to purchase our redemption from sickness and disease. To purchase our healing. To give us access to the divine flow of healing that comes from heaven. 
There's a story I like to say. There was a young kid who, um, he was a young boy at a country, country school somewhere out in the, the Texas West back in the day. And um, he, he had a bad story at home. He, he had a drunken father and the mother wasn't much good. And so he'd get beat up time and time again. And there was uh, one time where he went to school and he didn't have any lunch money. He had no lunch. He was starving. He was very skinny. And so he saw there was a bully in his school and uh, he saw that his lunch was like left unattended. And so he went and took that bully's lunch and he started to eat it. As he was eating the lunch, it was discovered that he had stolen the lunch. And so the teacher had a very strict rule because the bully in that school had run out every other teacher before this teacher because he was like a hard kid to deal with. So the teacher came in like a dictator and said, if any person violates the rules of this classroom, you're gonna, this was back in the day, you are going to get striped. You're going to get whipped with a ruler. And she, would, she followed up. People got whipped with a ruler. This was back in the day when that was allowed. And so this bully's lunch was stolen and... The bully brought it up to the teacher. My lunch was stolen. So the teacher lined up everybody and said, who stole the lunch? It was found out that it was the little kid, the little poor kid who, who was emaciated and starving. And so when it was, he was like, uh, uh, he wasn't a problematic kid. But when they discovered it was him, she had to follow through with the laws of the classroom or else people would take advantage of her. So they called this kid up and they took off his shirt. They did it with like skin. Skin to skin, skin to, 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 to a ruler. Took off his shirt and they saw there was like already scratches and bruises and beatings on him. So Sheila was like, I can't do this. But she, she said, I have to uphold it or else people are going to just walk all over me. And so she's about to hit this kid's back with the ruler. As she's like winding up, the bully says, stop. The one who had his lunch stolen. The one who was at, who, who, the, who, who, reap the consequence pretty much of that little boy's action of, thi- of, uh, of, of being a thief. He lost his lunch. He was the one that was to be mad. If anyone was to receive penalty, it was to be that kid. But the bully stops the lady and says, stop. I- I'll take the beating. I can't let him go through that. He already looks, already, he, he looks like a messy situation already. He's probably going to get hit when he gets home tonight. I'll take the beating. But it was your lunch that was stolen. I know. But I'm going to take, I'm going to take the beating for him. I'm not letting him go through that. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. We should have been the one that received the punishment, the wrath of God on us. But Christ came as a substitute for us. Had his back whipped so that we can walk in life free from sickness and free from disease. And then he was pierced through so we can walk in life free from the condemnation of sin and the guilt of our past. Jesus took a pit stop at the whipping post. Not because he had time to burn. There was a reason. Everything Jesus did on his way to the cross, there was a purpose for it. The reason why he took stripes was to take on him to bear our sickness, to carry our pains, to take on himself the penalty of what sin brought on the human race, which was part of it, sickness and disease. So when people say it's not about healing, you're diminishing the value of what Christ did at the cross. You are actually speaking ill of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ at the cross. It's not some common thing. It's not just, oh, it's just healing. You know, there's worse things to lose, better things to get. 
Healing meant so much to Jesus that he didn't go straight to the cross. If all he wanted to do was forgive us of our sins, he would have just taken nails in his hands because it's through the piercing of his hands that we were forgiven and of our transgressions and of our sins. He was bruised for our chastisement, our guilt and all that. Why did he get his back whipped? By his stripes ye are healed. In the blood of Jesus is the, pen, is the, the power to heal you of sickness today. Number three, number four, Jumping off on that, in the blood of Jesus is strength for your body. I said it before, he that eats of my, blood, of my body, of my flesh, and drinks of my blood has my life in him. So was Jesus weak? Look at Jesus. You want to know what the blood of Jesus will do for you? Look at the strength Jesus walked in. Was he weak? The guy had a rigorous uh, schedule that he maintained. He had a, a very heavy schedule. He was waking up early, going to bed late, laying hands on people all throughout the day. And yet, he was in fatigue. He was strong. There was something in him. There was the, the life of God working through him that made him supernaturally strong. And Jesus said, when you drink of my blood, that strength comes in you. You're not to grow weary. You're not to grow fatigued. The Bible says in Isaiah, I think it's 43, uh, the Lord, He is the everlasting God. He neither wearies nor faints. God neither wearies nor faints. When you partake of that meal the blood and the bread you are taking on yourself that same inability to grow weary and to faint we see that vividly illustrated in elijah's life he has he has a meal an angel comes and bakes a cake for him he takes the meal which is a representation of the miracle meal of the blood and the bread he takes that meal he ingests it digests it and the bible says he ran on the strength of that meal for 40 days so obviously there was an impartation of divine strength to run. He didn't have another meal. He fasted 40 days and yet he was running on the strength of it for 40 days. That's supernatural strength for your body. I said it before, the life of the thing is in its blood. When you partake of the blood, the life of Christ comes and removes your weaknesses, removes your infirmities, removes your your struggles, your inadequacies, and imparts into you God's power, God's strength, God's ability, God's very ability, very own ability. Number five, deliverance from chains. This is, a this is a, one of my favorite ones. Zechariah chapter nine. Zechariah, the ninth chapter. The blood of Jesus brings deliverance from chains. Verse 11, Zechariah 9, 11. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, there you go again, the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pits. Return ye to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope, and today I declare I will restore double to you. I love what the Bible, the term the Bible uses, prisoners of hope. There's a lot of people, and I think even watching right now, you're prisoners of hope. What do I mean by that? You're still in chains. You're still in bondage. You're still looking for deliverance. And you have hope that one day it's going to come. Well, I know one day my breakthrough will come. I know one day my healing's going to come. I know one day I'm going to be delivered. I know one day I'm going to be set free. And you're looking forward to a future day when the Bible says you're to return, hallelujah, to the stronghold. What's the stronghold? The stronghold is the blood of the covenant. So we're not looking forward for Jesus to shed more blood and do something else for our victory to be delivered from satanic harassment. 
A lot of people say, oh, I have a generational curse. I have a, you're a Christian? Yeah, and I have a generational curse. Christians can have generational curses. Not Christians that understand the blood of Jesus. When you, <laughs> when you understand the blood of the covenant, there's no curse that can latch on to you. There's no curse that can, you know, the devil actually doesn't have to curse someone if they just think they're cursed. If you just think you're cursed, as a man thinketh, so is he. So if the devil can get you to believe that you're cursed, he doesn't actually have to give generational curses or do any of that. You'll just be cursed. You'll, you'll, you'll live out a cursed life. You'll live out a miserable life. But when you do what the Bible says to do, to return to the blood of the, to the, blood of the covenant, the stronghold that we have, what happens? Even today, I love how it says today. So the moment you return to the blood, the moment you apply the blood, it's not tomorrow, it's not next year, even today, I will restore double unto you. Ye prisoners of hope that are watching right now, stop hoping, start believing, start looking back to what Christ did at Calvary and say, God, I receive the benefits of the blood. I'm not gonna let that blood be shed in vain. I'm taking the full reward of it today. And instead of my trouble, I'm receiving double blessing. I'm receiving double breakthrough. I'm the, today is the lowest I'm ever gonna be. I'm moving on forward to the rich inheritance Christ has for me by his blood. Even today, I declare, I will restore double. There's some of you watching right now, God's going to give you double for your trouble. Some of you watching right now, whatever the devil's done, you know the Bible calls the devil the strong man, but Jesus is the one stronger than he. And he went in, bound, and destroyed the strong man. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15 that Jesus partook of flesh and blood, that through his death we might be delivered from him that had the power of death. That is the devil. The Bible says Jesus in his death by the shedding of his blood, he destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. He no longer has the ability to keep you in that prison cell. Jesus said the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he's anointed me to do what? To preach deliverance to the captives. Too many people are trying to pray for deliverance. Deliverance is not just to be prayed. It's to be preached. Preach deliverance to the captives. How do we do that? Preaching on the stronghold of the blood. The moment you realize that blood was shed. For me to be delivered in my mind. I'm not going to be tied to a spirit of suicide. I'm not going to be tied to a spirit of fear. I'm not going to be tied to a spirit of anxiety and a spirit of death and a spirit of sickness and infirmity. I'm returning to the stronghold of the blood. The prison cell is already open and by faith I'm marching on out. I am going to receive my inheritance. Return ye to the stronghold. Blood, the blood of Jesus brings you deliverance from chains. I prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ, every chain, every affliction, every weapon of hell that's been formed against you, every demonic resistance, every demonic entity that has ransacked you, that has tried to overwhelmingly take you over in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of them falls now. Every single one of those chains is severed now by the blood of the Lamb. You are walking out of this broadcast an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. Remember what I said before. It's not just the blood of the Lamb. It's the word of your testimony. Faith is not just accurate knowledge of what the blood of Jesus does. It's then applying it through your confession. We know, we know what the blood of the Lamb does and now we're going to apply it through the word of our testimony. Number six, 
The blood of Jesus gives us peace with God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him the fullness should dwell. In Christ the fullness should dwell. And by Jesus to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. For you know you once were alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works. We were enemies of God. The Bible says we were at enmity against God. We were His adversaries. There was nothing good that dwelt in us. Everything about us in sin offended God. But we, God made peace with us through the blood of His cross. And now we who once were alienated, we who once were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel, we who once were strangers to the covenants of God, in our mind by wicked works. Yet now we've been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Listen to this. Much more. Verse 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still at enmity with God, Christ died for us. See, I don't understand it. People have faith to be saved. People have faith to believe that Jesus died for our sins, that we have right standing with God. But then they stop at that. Well, I know I'm saved, that's it, but I'm not going to believe for healing. Whatever God sees fit, he'll do it. You have faith to boldly ask God to save you when you are an enemy. Now you've been reconciled to God. You're his own child. You're in right standing with God. And you don't have faith or boldness to approach him to ask for anything else? You're going to cheat yourself out of the reward? Because you're religious demons that bombard your mind with lies and deceptive thinking. The Bible says if God didn't spare Jesus but delivered him up for us all, will he not freely give us everything else to richly enjoy? Verse 9, much more than. So if you were an enemy and Christ died for you and demonstrated his love for you, much more than having now been justified by his blood. What does justified mean? Just if I'd never sinned. Wiped slate. Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So one, I have peace with God. I have right relationship with God. God is my father. Remember when Mary clung to Jesus, Jesus said, depart from me. I haven't yet ascended to my God and to my father, but now I'm going to my God and I'm going to my father. I couldn't call God father before. I couldn't call God Abba before. But now because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus said, I'm not just going to my father, I'm going to your father. The Bible says he has poured out into our hearts the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out now, Abba, Father. We have peace with God. We can lay our heads at the pillow tonight. We have assurance of salvation. We know that we're saved because these things have been written that we might know. The blood made a way for us to be saved, to come into right relationship with God. But number two is also we're saved from wrath. There's three areas that you can receive wrath from. There's the wrath of God, which we know we're saved from that wrath. God did not appoint us to salvation. He appointed us to obtain salvation. God did not appoint us to wrath. He, he appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The great tribulation is the period of the great wrath of God. We've been saved from that wrath according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. Number two, there's the wrath of man. That's people that are angry at you. God will angry at you. God will vindicate you. God will protect you. People that let out anger against you. God will be with you. 
He'll keep you from that. And then there's the wrath of the devil. The Bible says he has fallen to the earth having great wrath, knowing that his time is short. But the Bible says we are saved from all wrath, every kind of wrath, including the devil's wrath against you. He hates you. You're created in the image of God. When he looks at you, you remind him of God. So his wrath is intense. His wrath is high. His wrath is great. But the good news is he can get angry all he wants. He can grind his teeth until all he's got is ugly gums. It ain't going to come near you. He can try everything. No weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you, God said you have power to condemn. Number that was number six. And then number seven, I finish off with this. The blood of Jesus gives us power to overcome the devil. Revelation 12, 11, we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Nothing gets the devil on the run quicker than the mention of the blood of Jesus. Nothing gets him running than applying the blood of Jesus, pleading the blood of Jesus. Nothing terrifies the devil more than, having, than seeing the blood Exodus chapter 12, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When the devil sees the blood, he has no choice but to pass over that home. He has no choice. The Bible says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. So rest assured, be confident, be at peace. As you apply the blood, you don't have to worry and run around helter skelter like a chicken without its head, wondering if... The devil's going to hit you today. The devil's going to target you today. He can target me all he wants. Colossians 1 says, I've been delivered from the power of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son, with whom I have what? Redemption by his blood. I have redemption by the blood. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. The devil say all he wants. I am redeemed. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so. So now that you understand redemption by the blood, start to say something. Start to speak. Though the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, he cannot touch me. And every tongue that rises up against me, I have power to condemn. I'm not going to be tossed and turned and thrown around like a rag doll. I've got the blood on my door. I'm untouchable. I'm unreachable. Any stupid devil that tries to pass through the blood of the covenant, the protective barrier of covenant in my life. Have made, they've made a decision to fall and die. They've made a decision to fail. They've made a decision to be destroyed. They've made a decision to incur the wrath of God on their life. Those are seven reasons or seven uh, things, the blood of Jesus Seven things that are inherent within the blood of Jesus that they do for you when you apply the blood, when you plead the blood, when you, when you talk about the blood, when you enforce that mighty power that's in the blood, those seven things happen. You can bank your buck on it. There's not a devil that can challenge the authority of the blood. There's not a power that can come against the power of the blood. That wonder-working power of the blood is here right now to set you free. I'm going to pray for you right now. Before I do that, if you're watching and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I said it before, you can only be redeemed by the blood. The Lamb of God was sacrificed from the foundations of the earth, the Bible says. He took on Himself the penalty for our sins. The Bible says, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of this world. You have a debt that you can't pay to God. 
It's, a, it's an unpayable debt. There's nothing you can do. There's no money. There's no effort. There's no works. I don't care if you donate a million dollars to your favorite charity. It ain't going to cut it. Only the blood can enter you, can bring you into this covenant relationship with God. Only the blood can take away, not cover. See, the Old Testament, they covered their sins. In this New Testament, God takes away your sins. He removes them. As far as the east is from the west, so is your sin to be blotted from his sight. The Bible says, and your sins and lawless deeds, when they enter into a covenant with me, I will remember no more. Your past might be horrible. You might have sinned just before coming on this broadcast and you feel guilty. I don't want you to stay guilty. You are guilty before the God of heaven. You've committed high treason against him. We all did. We all fell short of the glory of God. We all went astray. But thanks be unto God, the blood of Jesus Christ was the price that was paid for us. You want to know how valuable you are to God? You want to know how valuable you are to God? Listen to this. The value of a thing is determined by your receipt. Because your receipt shows how much you are willing to pay for that thing. You go to a store, you buy something, a couple of days later you want to return it. If you don't have the receipt, they're just going to give you whatever it's worth right now. And if it diminished in value, that's what you're going to get. But if you have the receipt, you can show the store exactly how much you paid for that item. We have the receipt right here. The Word of God says that God paid a high price for you by his, the blood of not an angel, not of a creative, created a being, not a created being, but the blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ. This receipt, the Bible, shows us that God went to the highest level, the furthest extremities, to redeem your soul. You are valuable to God. You are worth much. You're worth the blood of Jesus to God. Don't let that sacrifice be in vain. Receive Christ today. Pray this prayer with me. If you've never done it, or if you have, but you've fallen away, you know you're not living with, with, right with God. You know at the core of your being, you know that if Jesus Christ were to return right now, that you, you'd split hell right open. I want you to lay your head to the pillow tonight knowing that my right my, my life is right with God. My, my account is settled. There's not one sin separating me bef between, a, between me and a holy God. Pray this with me. Say this. Father, I come to you today. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. I turn to you today. I repent of sin. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Let the blood of Jesus wipe away my past. Today, I'm starting to walk with you. I'll never be the same. I'm a new creation. Fill me with your spirit. And let the same grace that drew me to you empower me to live for you. The same blood that broke the chains off my life be the same blood that guarantees that I stay in Christ all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to come on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. Get that uh, information to me. At the bottom of the screen, there is a, at the bottom of the page, there is a YouTube video, four things I'd tell every new Christian. Pretty much if I had 30 minutes with you right now, these are four things that I'd tell you. Four things that I would, I would, I would, uh, I would speak to you. So instead of you writing me, hey, what are things that I can do right now? That broadcast literally is everything that I would tell you now that you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Stay connected.
connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.